0: Hey, money multipliers, welcome back to another episode of The Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and we ask ourselves, do our dollars make sense? So I know the, fa- the past few weeks we were going through the differences of simple interest, compound interest. Now on this episode, I want to get deeper into what those different types of interest mean when it comes to our policies, and we're talking about policy loans, the growth of the policy, and things like that. I also am uh, going to talk about other topics, even about, hey, can I stop paying? In my premiums. So we'll get into it. Um, a few announcements is I have a few things that are in the works right now, and I kind of wanted to share a little details with y'all of what's coming up next down the pipe. Um, coming up here soon, December, I am going to be hosting a virtual mastermind. So Jonah Do and myself, some of y'all may know Jonah. If you've been following us for a long, long time, you'll know in my earlier episodes, Jonah was my co-host and he would hop on here with me. Now, to be honest with you, it's just because I've never done a podcast before. And I said, Jonah, I kind of need your support. Come on, come be a co-host with me. But then I kind of just took the reins and then now are here today, almost 70 plus episodes uh, later. So, uh, Jonah is a millennial myself. I'm a part of the Gen Z generation. And so we're going to be putting on the millennial money multiplier mastermind. So for my folks who have children or you're in your 30s, 20s, even your teens, come and join us. Let's really understand what those different vehicles out there are, what average rate of return versus average, actual rate of return, what that means, and the possibilities of different investments that you can really place your wealth at to see it grow where you're in total control. So I'm very excited for that webinar that's coming on uh, down the road in December. And uh, also put this in your calendar, y'all. The three-day money multiplier live event in that mastermind, we're going to be hosting that over Cinco de Mayo weekend. So next May, 2024, put that in your calendar. Now, I haven't nailed down the exact location yet. I have a few locations in mind. If uh, you've came out to a past three-day event, we normally hold it down in our home base down here in uh, Port Orange, Florida, just right next to Daytona Beach. So, um, so I live in Daytona Beach. Mom and pops live about 15 minutes away in Port Orange because you can't be too close to your parents, you know? So, so, we normally will host it at their house and then we will... Uh, rent out a hotel on the beach and go to beachside. So we'll see. I don't know. I I got a few other uh, cities and locations in mind, but I do have the dates nailed down for this time. So uh, you can always go to our website as well, themoneymultiplier.com forward slash events. And you can see all of the events all around the country of where we're speaking at. So hello, October. All right. October is like my freaking favorite month. I love Halloween. I love the weather outside, the fall leaves. Yes, I know I live in Florida. We don't really have fall leaves, but I, I travel a lot and I get to go see them up north. So I love this time of year. And uh so I'll be here in two days. I'm going to be in Jacksonville at the RIA. Okay, so um, October 5th, I'll be in Jacksonville. October 7th, we'll be in Fort Lauderdale. And then I know there's a few other events going on in uh, October, but those are the ones that I am currently scheduled to be at right now. So come and join us, my Floridian people. I'm very happy that you're here and Let's hop into the episode. All right, so just a quick recap before we get into it. If you haven't done your homework and have been staying in tune with the weekly episodes, um, just real quick, high level, let's explain the differences of simple and compound interest. Now, okay, hold on, this might be fun. Pause this episode right here. Pause the episode and I want you to put down in the comments right now what you think are the differences between simple and compound interest. All right, I'll wait. All right, you done? All right, pencils down. Here's the differences. Simple interest. Simple interest is the interest that we earn solely on the principal amount. So if I have a $10,000 balance here and I earn 5% simple interest each year, that means each and every year I will earn $500, all right? 5% of $10,000 is $500. So I earn that interest solely on the principal amount alone. Compound interest. Compound interest is us earning interest on the principal amount plus the interest that's earned. Example, $10,000 cash bucket, I earn 5% compounding interest. So year one, we receive 5%. So the balance now is 10,500. Year two, I earn 5% on 10500 now, right? You see what happens? You earn interest on the interest that you received those pri- previous years. So the principal plus the interest that you earned, that's what that compounding interest is growing by now. So how does this break down into our infinite banking policies when we're talking about policy loan interest, so just reminder, There's this is why in my examples and in my presentation, when I go out and I teach this concept, live or virtual webinars or whatever, one of the first things I get into is the calculator example, all right? And all of y'all have seen this. If you're clients of mine, you have seen this presentation. And if you need a refresher on it, go to themoneymultiplier.com forward slash presentation, and you can go find this right there. So in the calculator example, why I go through that is because I am showing to you and proving to you that we can make money all day long earning at a lower interest rate than what we're borrowing. So In that example, I use four and 6%. The reason I use 4 and 6% is because inside of our policies, we got that guaranteed interest. And right now on our policy loans, the insurance company charges us a 5% simple interest. Oops, I kind of already gave away. But anyways, we'll get into it. So we earn interest in the policy and we're also paying interest when we take out these policy loans. So in real life, it's 5% to take out policy loans from our life insurance, whole life policy contract. I should say at the companies that I work with, the five mutually owned companies that I do business with. Now contractually, because sometimes y'all will ask me this question, Hannah, is it going to stay at 5% forever and ever? And I can't sit here and tell you yes because inside of the life insurance contract remember this is just a life insurance contract it's all contract law inside of that policy we it contractually states in there that we that they can earn interest from 0 to 8%. That's what's contractually stated. It can be anywhere from 0 up to 8%. Now, it's been at 5% For the last 48 years so i can't sit here and tell you that no they're never going to change it but it gets kind of interesting if you think back 48 years ago what was happening in the environment when the federal federal reserve was raising rates and government intervention why were the insurance companies, how could they still charge 5% on policy loans? Gets a little interesting. I won't be talking about that today in uh, this discussion, but you can reach out to me if you want to further that conversation. So inside of this policy contract, when we take out policy loans, we're charged 5%. Well, why? You know, some of the naysayers about this infinite banking concept, they say, well, why would I pay interest on my money? Why would I pay interest on my money? Well, that's what you don't get. We're not using our actual money. When you call into the insurance company and you want to take out that policy loan, what you are doing is you're putting your policy up for collateral and you're taking a loan from the general funds of the insurance company. So really you're borrowing from their pool of money. So thus that allows your money inside of your policy, that cash value bucket, to remain inside of there growing and compounding as if it was never even touched. So that's what I mean when I talk about uninterrupted compounding interest. Your policy cash value bucket grows at uninterrupted compounding interest when we take out policy loans. Now, just real quick, a question I will sometimes get is how do we take out policy loans? All right. So there's a few ways of how you can take out a policy loan from your life insurance contract. And this is one of the reasons why I have my implementation, my mapping team there that follows up with y'all two to three times a year just always checking in because they will walk you through these steps of how to take out these policy loans. So just real quick, there's a few ways. You know, you will have your own login portal directly to the insurance company's website. You can log in there, request loans online. You can call them up over the phone, process that loan request that way or um, there's even actually a paper form. You can fill out the paper form, uh, put your what signature on it and then just email it into them and they'll process it that way. Then how does policy loan get back to us? My team is going to make sure that you have your direct deposit form set up with the insurance company. So when you process those loans, they will directly deposit that money into whatever bank account that you put up there on file with them. Or if you don't want to do direct deposit, you don't want to go that route, the insurance company will just simply send you a paper check in the mail. I prefer direct deposit. Now, hold on. Follow my ADD. Here's a question I sometimes get. So, Hannah, I still have to have a bank account? Yes. You know, there's no way to totally eliminate the central banks from our lives. But if you all know of a way, please call me up and tell me. I'm always looking. So, So, but no, there's no way to totally eliminate the banks. However, we can limit the amount of money we keep at our local bank account. So that's what I do. So we call up the insurance company. We, we ask for that loan. Then they direct deposit it into my account. It goes personally into that segregated checking account for myself because I want to keep that money separate from my main checking account where I do all of my income and and expenses, uh, personal side gets flowed through. I deposit my loans into my separate, segregated checking account, just because come around tax time, it's going to be easy to identify what's taxable income and what's not, because policy loans are never taxable to us. Even in the normal, traditional sense, not even policy loans, any loans are never taxable to us. So I just like to keep it separate just for my tax guy. So when I take out that loan, now starts the time clock for the 5% that I am charged on that policy loan. Loan interest is charged at a simple annual interest. Here's what I mean. If I take out a loan of $10,000 and I have it outstanding for the full year, at the end of the year... $500 is charged to me, 5% of that $10,000. Now, just real quick, if I pay back that loan, let's say in six months, Is that full loan interest still charged me for the full year? No, I'm only charged loan interest on the amount of time that I have that policy loan outstanding. So if I pay it back in six months, well then $250 of loan interest is charged to me now. So this loan interest, it's a simple annual interest. Let's say that I take out that 10000 and I do not pay it back. Next year rolls around. I still have the same 10000 outstanding. I do not pay it back. Another $500 is charged to me. So simple annual interest is how these policy loans are being charged. But This is where the discipline factor of this concept comes into play. You could elect to not pay back the policy loans, but if you do that, the insurance company is going to deduct it from your future cash values. And let's get into the weeds here. So here's for my analyticals joining me today. If you do not pay back your loan interest on your policy, the insurance company will take that loan interest out of your cash value in a form of another loan. So now your loan interest of 5% is now being charged on that interest that they had to deduct and take out from your cash value. You're now being charged interest on your principal plus that loan interest that you failed to pay back last year. So that's where you could really get into a pickle is because now this loan interest is being charged to you on a compounding interest rate. Don't do that. What Nelson Nash says on page 17 of his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, do not steal the peas from your banking business. So if nothing else, if you are not gonna pay back the principal amount of your policy loan, always, always, always pay your loan interest annually and pay it out of pocket, because if you don't, you're gonna start being charged that compounding interest, they're gonna take it out as a loan from your cash value and those future cash values, and now you're just working the cycle that's gonna get you deeper into the mud, and you don't want that. Now, here's something. Here is how I know how much I have to pay on my policy loans. Every year, you will get a statement in the mail from the insurance company One America, Lafayette Life, Guardian, Security Mutual, Penn Mutual, whoever. You'll get that annual statement in the mail, and on there, it will say, okay you're coming up on your anniversary date in your policy. We're going into that following year. This is kind of where I do my little jiggle dance because this is so fun and exciting. I'm so excited to pay my next year's premium because every year after, it just gets greater and greater with the compounding effect of the policy. So I love paying my policy premiums. But on this annual statement, it will tell me here's how your policy performed this is your dividend, this is your loan outstanding, and here's the loan interest. And what I do every year when I make that next year's premium, I also tell the insurance company, excuse me, I also tell the insurance company to take out for that loan interest I owe to them. So I always, 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 I pay that loan interest annually out of pocket and I keep using my loan money. That's all you gotta do. Now a question I'll sometimes get as well is, when do the principal of the policy loans have to get paid back? Let's talk about this. When you call the insurance company and you wanna take out a policy loan, they never ask you, what you're using the money for, when you're going to pay it back, and how you're going to pay it back. Because a loan on the policy is nothing more than a prepayment of our death benefit. And I hate to break it to y'all, but aren't we guaranteed to die? Don't you find it a little strange that a lot of people will spend these yahoo amounts of money on insurance that's like actually not guaranteed to happen, you know, flood insurance, fire insurance. Triple A insurance. That one just came to me right now. I don't know. But right, they spend all this money on all of these hypothetical insurances, but they actually neglect to get the insurance that's actually guaranteed to happen. Isn't that kind of funny? It's just how we've been taught. It's just the conventional thinking, right? Buy term and invest the difference. Because later in those later stages of your life, when you get to 70, 80, you won't need that death benefit anymore. You don't need that. Your family is fine. Your self-insured. You know what that's telling me? You don't give a shit about your family. All right. Sorry. I got off track there. So when we take out policy loans, they never ask us what we're using the money for because at the end of it, we're guaranteed to die. So any outstanding loans at the time of our passing will just get subtracted from our death benefit and the death benefit is always higher than the cash available in the policy. Matter of fact, each and every year that the cash value raises, your death benefit also raises as well. So the only time that they'll ever meet an equal is when you are age 121. And when you make it to age 121, the insurance company will simply pay you out that death benefit and they say, hey, thanks for uh, coming along with us on your life journey. We do not want to to play in the sandbox with you anymore. Here's your death benefit. Go and enjoy your life. That's what happens. And that's when we reach age 121. So, When do we have to pay back the loans? Really, it's not required. This is again where the discipline of you being your own banker comes into play. You should pay back your policy loans. You should charge yourself interest to borrow from your privatized bank. Do you have to, though? No, not at all. This is what Nelson Nash always talks about as being in control of the transaction. We are in control. Thus, we can write the rules of how we want to act within our banking business in our life. So that's how policy loan interest works. I think it's, um, after I explain it this way, I think y'all will really understand, okay, Hannah, you are right, it is nothing more than just my savings vehicle, and all that I do when I take the money out, I'm using it, then when I put the money back in, now it's just showing up as cash available again back inside my policy. So, you know, when you do pay back your policy loans, it's kind of nice because you are putting the money back in the policy. You're storing it safely somewhere and you're paying down the interest that you're charged on that policy loan. So I I love to pay back my policy loans and I really don't keep money inside of the bank account. Personally, and you guys have heard this before, I only keep no more than three months of overhead expenses down at the local bank. Everything else, if it's not being deployed in active investments or... I'm using it for something, it's being stored back inside the policy, ready for it to be warehoused and ready for me to deploy it out there again. So when I do go and pay back my policy loans, I hold it in that segregated checking account. So that's just what I do when I pay back my policy loans. And so it just goes directly from that checking account back to the policy, but if I have a use for the money within about like a 30 60 day time frame I won't pay back my policy loans, you know, because I just don't want to play mental gymnastics with the insurance company, taking out loans left and right and, and funneling it back and forth, you know, because we do have to understand the insurance companies are not in the everyday transactions where like banks are, they're doing 500 million billion transactions a day, right? So, so insurance companies just aren't doing that. So The rule I have for myself is when I do go and pay back my policy loans, it's number one because I have a loan repayment of what I structured for myself already and I pay myself back, or it's the leftover capital from my income that I'm not using and and I just want it to be stored somewhere, that's when I'll go and pay back the policy loans. If I have an active investment or maybe an expense that's coming up, I will just hold it in that segregated checking account for about 60 to 90 days I said 60 to 90, I meant to say 30 to 60, 30 to 60 days ready to be deployed out there again. So that's just the rule that I have for myself. Is there a right or wrong way though? No, because honestly, your contract is always between you and the insurance company. You can go in there at any time, pay back the loans, take the money out. It's always between you and the insurance company. So let's kind of pivot and let's talk about premiums. With our policy premiums, I kind of wanted to bring this up in the discussion today because I've noticed here recently this has been a question that keeps popping up from time to time. So I'll sometimes get asked, how long do I have to keep paying my policy premiums? Now again, if you've been following me for a while, you know this is one of my least favorite questions to be asked. Why, Hannah? Because your mindset is just quite not there thinking about your policy as your banking system. But that's okay, you just need to go back and reread Nelson's book a few more times, listen to the audio, and come join us on our weekly webinars and keep following and hanging around the campfire with us. So, but I get where the question's coming from. You know, because people in our passive years of our life, our retirement years. I don't like to use the word retirement, so I like to say the passive years of our life. I just don't really wanna keep paying these premium commitments. I don't know what I'm gonna be doing later on. Maybe I sell all of my assets and all of my investment properties or something, and I just don't wanna keep up with this large of a premium commitment anymore. So how long do I have to keep paying these premiums for? So if I'm a good coach, you will quickly understand that you will want to pay premiums for as long as you can and as much as you can. Why? Because once you hit to year four, once you make it to year four in that policy, that is what I call the magical year. That's when we break even. Hey, when I put in $1 as premium, my cash value is now growing by that same $1. Get this. Year 5, I put in a dollar into that policy as my premium, my cash is now growing by a dollar and 5 cents now. So every single year after that year 4 mark, We are taking out and pulling more from that policy than the year before. I almost like to use the analogy, starting the policy is almost like starting a business from scratch. Go back to my past episode where I talk about that, starting a business from scratch. And that's all the policy is. So if I know that this policy is gonna break even in year four, and every single year after that, I'm gonna profit more and more, I mean, how many of these policies and these businesses do you want in your life? I hope, hopefully the answer is you say a lot of them, most of them. So the whole idea and why, if I'm a good coach, you'll never want to stop paying those premiums because you will, you will beg, borrow and steal just to get that next year's premium because you know, when you put a dollar into that thing, you're going to be returned $2. Okay. So Like I said, I understand where the question is coming from though. So, my first advice, all right, what will actually happen in the policy too is those premiums will decrease. Okay, so later down the road, those premiums will actually decrease. The reason being is, we're, is because we're dropping off the paid-up addition riders just because they're not needed anymore to keep sustaining the cash growth in the policy, so we drop them off. Also, for my analyticals on the call, let me also give you another tidbit. The reason the paid-up edition riders get dropped off the policy as well is because then we won't hit our mech status. So it will keep the policy from turning into a mech and, and thus no taxable consequence will happen because we want to keep those tax-free benefits. So later on down the road, the premium will actually drop and it's going to decrease anywhere from 60 to 90 percent. And then after that, you'll quickly understand that you'll want to keep paying those premiums forever and ever. But there are options. If you really, really wanted to, after year 10 in the policy, you could change the contract to what's called a reduce paid up. RPU is what they call it for short. And all this means is is that you can stop the premium contributions to that policy. No more premiums are being due. The death benefit remains level and where it's at, or I, I believe it kind of decreases a little bit, but that death benefit will remain at where it's at. And then now you just got this policy that's running on an autopilot, Tap into the cash bucket whenever you want. Take out the policy loans and just use it. You got the cash value bucket growing at a guaranteed interest, and you got your death benefit that grows right along with it as well. That's permanent death benefit that's going to be enforced until your age 121. So you could. You could RPU that contract if you really wanted to. Now, this is why, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, why do that rather than just structuring like a 10-pay policy or something? Well, I would rather have the freedom to dictate when I want to stop making those premium deposits in. Because if I just had a 10 pay policy and then here I am rolling into year 11 after year 10 and you come back to me and you say, oh my gosh, Hannah, I don't want to stop paying my premium. I'm having so much joy and growth out of this policy and this banking system that I want to put more premiums inside of that thing. And I got to come back to you and say, well, tough luck. Because a decade ago, 10 years ago, you told me you wanted to stop paying those policy premiums. So I just like to have the opportunity Again, it's all about control and the freedom and the justice to do whatever you please, whenever you please. So I would just rather have the ability to stop those premiums whenever I want. Maybe I don't want to do it in year 10. Maybe I want to do it in year 20, 30, whatever. So that's why I I would rather have the freedom to choose when I want to RPU that contract. Now, I talked a little bit about, you know, how premiums decrease later down the road. Let's just talk about this real quick, just as a side note. Let's say you call me up and you say, Hannah, shit just hit the fan right now. I do not have my premium that I want to deposit into this policy. What are my options right now? I'm in a cash flow bind. So as early as immediately, that second premium deposit that you put into your policy, if you really ever needed to, you can always drop down those premiums to that base premium, all right? So that's what it's called, base premium. And that base premium, is the only thing that's really mandatory and required to keep the policy alive and active. So as long as we make that base premium into the policy, we have all the freedom and flexibility in the world to go right back in up to our said max premium deposits that we initially told the insurance company that we want to do. Let me give a number example because I feel like I said that a little funky. Let's say that you have a premium of $1,000 a month. That's what you're contributing to your policy. And then you call me up. You say, Hannah, I do not have this $1,000 right now. What are the options? you can lower that premium down by 60% if needed. So on a 1,000 a month premium, $400 would be the minimum to keep it alive and active. Then when cash flow starts to allow again, pay back in, pay back in up to the 1,000 monthlies if you wanted to. Big note and, and key word there, if you wanted to. Are we required to make those additional paid up edition premiums that we missed prior to this? No, we're not required. PUA premiums are not a mandatory premium that we have to put towards our policies. So I hope y'all are following. All right, I know it's, I'm kind of getting into the weeds of everything. So this is kind of more of an, an advanced topic here. I just want y'all to really understand, really learn this stuff. And And here's my other advice too. It's going to come as time goes on. You're going to learn every single day and every single year that you have your policies. I still learn. And I've been practicing this stuff for six, seven years now. Since I was 18 years old when I got my first policy. So I guess six years is the math. So... You guys are going to learn more and more as you flow through this and you're actively using the policy, handling the cash, getting those annual statements from the insurance company yearly, and then also working with the mapping and the implementation team, you know, cause they are always there to support you, answer your questions, make updates, changes to your policy, the premiums, and really get you the feedback that you need to know. Now, last little topic I wanna get into before I let y'all go today, let's talk about dividends, okay? Because I'll be honest with you, you know, if I wasn't in this world, I don't really think I would know what a dividend really means. Like, yes, I hear the word all the time, but what really technically is a dividend? You hear about dividends from the stock portfolio, dividends from mutual funds or whatnot. But let's talk about dividends and how they apply to the life insurance contract. So the reason that we're working with a mutually owned insurance company and not a stock held company, okay, Mutually owned companies is what we want when we're practicing this concept. And why is because when we are a policy owner and we hold a policy contract with them, we share in the profits and the dividends of that company, different than a stock held insurance company where the shareholders of that company receive the dividends, So what is a dividend and what does it mean? Textbook definition, return of premiums, the surplus of premiums that was not needed, I guess is what I want to say. And so what happens is when we, the policy owners, we pay premiums into this policy, then from there, the insurance company, they take these premium dollars and they will go invest it. They'll go buy bonds with it. That's where a large portion of their portfolio is held. They'll buy bonds. They'll do real estate. So the, a, a lot of shopping centers, sporting arenas we see around, most of those are funded by insurance companies. They'll do some mortgages, commercial, home mortgages, but they also gotta keep cash on hand In the event that policy owners want to take out a policy loan, because here's a little tidbit, inside of that policy contract, it's written out and states that we, the policy owners, we hold first rights to any cash value inside of that contract. So that's another reason why the insurance company can't deny you a loan. We, the owners of that policy contract, hold the first rights. So they got to keep cash on hand in their reserves for policy loans. And they also got to keep cash on hand in the event that a death claim needs to get paid out. And so that's the biggest differences between insurance companies and the local bank is just because they practice on different principles, their portfolios are being invested differently. And the insurance company, they're not in those everyday lending practices, lending to uh, families and local. Income families for mortgages or risky startup companies and things like that. No, they got to make long term conservative investments because at the end of the day, they are walking into this contractual agreement with us saying, hey, you policy owner, if you keep paying these premiums inside of this policy contract we promise that we will give you that guaranteed interest on the cash plus the guaranteed death benefit. So the insurance company's got to keep up their end of their contractual promise to pay us the guaranteed interest plus that death benefit. So that's why they're just making these conservative long-term investments. So then at the end of the year, when the insurance company's portfolios come back and we're doing better or as expected, that's when we, the policyholders, receive that dividend. And because they're sharing the profits of what their portfolio did over that last year, they are sharing it with the policy owners. So that's why we, we receive that extra bonus, you could say, inside of the policy. And to get technical with it, how dividends are credited back to the policy is that um, they actually go back in and they buy us more paid-up edition riders. Yeah, you know, there's ways that you could take your dividend and do other things. Like I know at a company called One America, you can actually allocate a percentage of your dividend to be invested into the the S&P on One America's behalf. I don't do that personally. You could also request for your dividend to be to just be paid out directly to you in a form of a paper check. You could do that. I have it go back towards the policy as more paid up additions. And why? is because as soon as that money gets back inside that policy as extra PUAs, well, now it's just in there along with my other cash value buckets growing and compounding uninterrupted again. So look, y'all, all all we're doing... All we're doing here is we're just conducting our banking business within ourselves rather than the local banks where they're the one making the interest, the profits, and the dividends. You know, because when I go and leave my money down at the local bank, those deposits, those deposits can now be used by that banker. Fractional reserve banking is what they do. And so they are now making interest, profits, and dividends on the money that I leave there with them so all I'm doing is I'm just flipping the script I am making my premium deposits into my policy I am in control of that environment and now I am making the interest profits and dividends on this money because I'm working with this mutually owned insurance company and we're creating this lifelong bond where we're really going up on this incline together So I hope that provided a little bit of insights, a little bit of help. If you have more questions, I am just a phone call, an email, a text away. So reach out to me. My email is Hannah. Hannah spelled the same ways forwards and backwards. Hannah at themoneymultiplier.com. And if you enjoyed this episode... Rate us five stars, subscribe to the YouTube channel, the podcast show, wherever you listen to your podcast. And um, write into me. I am always looking for more topics that y'all want me to talk about and just other things that are going on in the economy. So happy October, everybody. I'm so excited that you're here and let's finish out this quarter four of the year very, very strong. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.